Hello and welcome to the Nick Logo Show. Today I had on Boris Cherniak, also known as the incredible Boris, and he is just incredible. He's a stage hypnosis who's been on over 10,000 shows in his life. He's been on the Howie Mandel Show, Montel, he goes on Maury all the time, and he was on the Today Show. He does thousands and thousands of different shows and stage hypnosis, and he really blows people away. First of all, I'd really recommend that you check out his videos. His name's Boris Cherniak. He has all these hilarious, incredible videos where he just hypnotizes people and really makes you think about, well, why the hell can he make somebody forget someone's name? Why the hell can he make somebody do the crazy things that they do? And well, how can he change someone's subconscious mind? So I hope you enjoy the show. This is a really great show. And, um, and well, here you go, Boris Cherniak. So uh, the last uh, 40 years uh, have been an awesome ride. And uh, uh, it hasn't always been uh as it would seem from the outside, but there's ups and downs. I've been uh, everywhere from Dubai to Japan to uh, Amsterdam to uh, entertaining troops in Afghanistan and Kuwait, uh, the television, Howie Mandel show, Maury. Uh, I'm just uh, trying uh, to think, uh, Robert Irvine show and a bunch of others. Yeah, it's it's really incredible, and I spent a lot of time watching all of your hypnotism shows, and it's all stage hypnosis, and you make people forget their name, and and you know, like believe that a man is a is the father and passed the paternity test against another man, and the man believed that he was the the mother, and you could do all of these crazy things. And first, I just want to well get a little understanding of how the hell do you get somebody to forget their own name. Very easy. Uh, I uh, come from two different backgrounds. Uh, one is uh, computers. I uh, sort of graduated uh, college and university uh, for uh, my parents. I have uh, York, U of T, and, uh, and Seneca College uh, that I went through for computers and psychology. So uh, the computer part, uh, I literally enjoyed uh, working with different toys, but uh, I uh, took it a little bit further uh, and connected it to psychology, where I truly believe that your mind is a computer that can be programmed and reprogrammed. And uh, uh, I started advocating for that, and uh, people started uh, grabbing onto that idea somehow, because uh, if you can uh, program the mind, which we all are, we're a collection of all of uh, the different experiences that have happened up to this point, uh, you can reprogram it for the better. So I took, other than the uh, comedy hypnosis show, I put a bunch of positive messages throughout, uh, which actually uh, was always there, but uh, sort of got embraced a little bit later on, where people started noticing, oh, you got positive messages in your show. Yes, of course. Uh, if you're doing something, why not leave uh, something special for the people to take home with them, a, a takeaway or uh, something. I wanted people to walk into uh, my performance having seen me and walk out with more questions than they came in with. Uh, so uh, for me, that was uh, sort of uh, an intriguing thing and uh, found that uh, reprogramming minds uh, gave people a different mindset, especially uh, very proper these days where uh, everything uh, is about mental health and uh I uh, find that the world just fell apart on me and uh, how do I deal with this? Yeah. Uh, I gave them the tools to make themselves uh, feel better, make themselves uh, heal themselves. Uh, so uh, it's a different concept rather than you help me, 
uh, and that's what uh, they think of a hypnotherapist. I uh, took it a little bit further uh, and uh, said, well, you can do it yourself as long as, uh, well, you heard uh, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, right? But uh, all programming is self-programming. We all have voices in our heads, and that is programming other than the authority figures that uh, imprint uh, information on us. Well, so that's the thing, right? And this is this was the the real barrier that got me into hypnosis, right? That that really stopped me from going into hypnosis. It was this idea of programming, right? Like someone says, "Okay, I'm going to get programmed," and it, it doesn't feel right. It feels like I'm being controlled, being manipulated. All of these things, sort of, you know, like you could probably explain it better than me. Why is why is that BS? Uh. Just like I said uh, a few seconds ago, we are a collection of all of our experiences. You, uh, your parents uh, have uh, given you all of the information earlier on, and uh, I grab onto a little study that uh, was done by UCLA years ago. An average toddler uh, hears the word no 400 times a day. Mm. Right. So once you figure that out uh, and uh, you put that in your uh, understanding how life works, everything is no, 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 no. Uh, how can we make that as a yes? Uh, yeah. And uh, th- I found that most of the opportunities, uh, I think it was Wayne Gretzky that said uh, you take uh, uh, zero shots of the. Okay, I screwed that up. You miss 100% of the shots. You Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, uh, the opportunities, we stop ourselves rather than uh, reaping the rewards that could possibly be. So, uh, I uh, work personally in my life. What's the worst thing that could happen and go after it? Uh, and uh, that's been the motto of my life where I tried and I succeeded and or I failed. I heard the no's, uh, yeah. whether you. Uh, believe them is your choice and uh, that choice is what uh, i uh, try to instill in people as far as uh, find that choice find the way to control your life rather than letting life control you yeah i think that was one of the things that kind of got me like okay that you have two options in your let's call it programming right like you have the option of no 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 like this isn't going to work out i might as well not try versus i'm just going to go for it and just and just do it, you know, and actually I'm working in a lab right now at Indiana University where we're studying that exact topic. We, they actually did a study where they said, okay, 50% of people, and these were just the results, 50% of people said, um, I, I would rather lose and say that I didn't try. And 50% of people said, I would rather try as hard as I can and still accept the fact that I lost. Right. And that difference, the difference between, you know, striving and failing or just making the excuse of, oh, I didn't try. It's part of your programming. It's part of the way that you act. And they actually found that it has influence on your further decisions, whether or not you you try on the next one, whether or not you really strive to be the best. And the thing is, we all know those type of people that kind of give up and don't really try as hard as they can. And um, and yeah, like it, it just you don't realize how much of an impact it has in your life. Well, it's also patterns. Uh, that's why uh, we all get stuck in the same patterns over and over again. Do you uh, hear about a girl who uh, goes after the same type of a guy that uh, mm. they end up date- dating because they get something out of it? So find out what uh, you have 
internally within you that uh, gets you to repeat the same loop over and over again and what type of wording you're using. One of uh, the, I'm uh, in the process of writing several books at this point in time. Uh, well, there are one book right now, which is being separated into three. But wow. uh, one of the uh, messages is change your vocabulary because uh, you were given a dictionary and that dictionary has definitions that uh, are not equating to what you want to achieve. Hmm. So once you're able to change those definitions, and uh, I'm actually a little upset with the world right now because definitions are constantly changing and nobody knows what the real definition is. So once you figure out that definition uh, of what it is in your mind, what you're trying to achieve, uh, you can actually uh, set that goal. But uh, if you don't understand where you're heading, that goal is not going to be uh, in the right place and it'll be rather elusive and not in front of you. You'd actually be very surprised. Actually, all of, well, not all, but many of the guests that I have on that are really like focused on self you know, creation and all of these things. Vocabulary is one of the first things that they say always. It's, you know, it's the way that you present yourself, the way, the things that you tell yourself. For example, I had on a guy uh, where he was telling me, you always say you're going to try to do something. Why not just say that you're going to do something, right? I said, oh yeah, I'm going to try to, um, this was when I was starting my hypnosis practice. He's like, I'm, I'm going to try to do hypnosis or I'm going to do hypnosis. And he says, there's a vast distinction between the two. And the word try, you just hit it right on the nose, uh, actually means that you're not going to succeed. So remove the word try mm. from your vocabulary and do. Uh, absolutely perfect example. Yeah, no, it actually, and believe it or not, that's one of uh, the messages in the book. That's why I'm uh, surprised that I'm not the only one hitting on it. So it must be something worthwhile. No, I mean, it's really, it, it blows my mind, the amount of, and this is, this is pretty much all that you do. Like if I were to sum up everything that you do in one sentence, it's we don't realize how truly subjective our experience is. We don't realize how truly in internal our experiences and how we could shape what is real, how, how the world around us reacts. And literally like you, I, I wrote down all the stuff that you do taste, right? Like you could literally hypnotize someone and make something taste bad, or you could hypnotize someone to make something taste good. Sight, emotions, pleasure, confidence, all these things can be manipulated and they're all, they all come from within us, even though we think they come from without. Right. And uh, once you take, control of that uh, and it boils down to knowing and trusting your abilities right that's where the confidence uh, comes from uh, i'll give you a perfect example uh, the belief in yourself and i'm uh, uh, heading somewhere with this uh, is uh, inherent to where you're going. I uh, actually, when I was heading to Afghanistan to entertain the troops, uh, my connecting flight did not arrive. So I, uh, on the first trip there, I actually uh, ended up missing the connecting flight to where uh, the whole team was heading over to Afghanistan, uh, the okay. they were heading over to Kuwait first. So uh, on a while at the airport, uh, before they left, they gave me two phone numbers and said, uh, make your way over to uh, Kuwait by yourself and we'll see if we can meet you up. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, do you uh, trust at that point in time your abilities? Uh, and I literally, I got two phone numbers and basically you make your way to the airport. Somebody will find you. 
What do you mean somebody will find you? Uh, This is a 14-hour flight by the time I get there. Uh, So I uh, had to believe in my abilities uh, before I got there to uh, show up and make that phone call. Uh, And thankfully, somebody was on the other end saying, uh, yes, we don't leave anybody behind. Mm, Uh, Because it was a a military tour, uh, so that that was nice to hear. Uh, But same applies to absolutely everything in your life. Uh, the belief in where you're going and uh, knowing that when you get there, uh, you are going to have to take a decision whether to go in one direction or another. So uh, confidence, belief, uh, and always positivity. My friends called me the eternal optimist. Uh, Why? Because what's the worst thing uh, that could happen? Uh, You will not be successful. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting. Like I see that all the time in terms of just like, I'm in college, right? And and actually, this is really common in, in the hypnosis um, people that I interview is all of them talk about talking to girls, right? Like when you go up to talk to a girl, you know, it's like, what's your mindset, right? What's your mindset and how confident are you? And we don't realize how completely malleable that confidence is. Like if I were sitting there and you came to me before a party and you went and hypnotized me and you told me, hey, you're going to be the most confident person out there. Every time you look around, all those guys around you are going to look absolutely inferior and you're going to be the best looking guy at the party and you could get any girl and blah, 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 blah. And all of these things, it would work. It would be successful. You, you actually, in some of yours, you made someone impersonate Michael Jackson. You made people impersonate celebrities. They acted confident. They acted like, you know, they talked down to people. Like they were able to be a completely different character and really become someone else new. And well, it really shows how malleable our confidence is. Right. It's not all about the relationships, uh, right? The main person that has to be comfortable with themselves is you. So once you uh, figure that part out as, as well, it just takes it to co- a completely different level. Uh, uh, a, a lot of times also knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. Like even uh, in my performing career, uh, me telling you how great I am is different than an agent uh, describing uh, things independently, how wonderful uh, the performance is and what kind of an impression it will leave. So uh, you have to be a little bit uh, more humble. I find uh, in the hypnosis industry specifically, there's uh, a way to get a a high head and uh, there's a way to uh, be and stay humble uh, where Mm. uh, it's not a power. I don't zap people into uh, submission, right, uh, as a hypnotist, but uh, it's a give and take. I uh, get them to follow my lead, and uh, that lead is all it is. I have no powers. I have uh, nothing other than creativity and know-how. Interesting. So the only thing that got me to the point where I am at is I was incredibly creative, and uh, I came up uh, young enough uh Uh, The first time I got paid doing what I do now, I was 17. I'm 18 now, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I started performing uh, not knowing that anybody else was out there. I read a book that I needed to know more. Later on, I got certified and found out what I was doing wrong and right and relearned the proper way of uh, doing stuff. And uh, I... I'm a CHT and RHT, so the certified hypnotherapist and the registered hypnotherapist, something of that nature, yeah. uh, where the letters, yeah, they mean something, but uh, not really to me. My job is 
to give people uh, some of the tools while entertaining them. So when I was uh, starting to perform, uh, I literally did not know others were out there. So I kept writing. I uh, got hired at a, a place where they were, uh, it was a weekly show, but I didn't know any better. So I wrote a brand new show and I was booked from eight till 12. Wow. I wrote a brand new four hour show each time I performed. Years later, I have a big bag of tricks that looks like I just came up with it. No, I've applied it from so many different years of uh, creativity. And uh, that creativity took me on television. Uh, television specifically, uh, when they were looking at, uh, there might be 10 other hypnotists that they were considering. Why mm. did they pick me? I was not like everybody else. I was not emulating. I was not, uh, even with the routines that other people use, their cookie cutter routines, I did not know uh, of those cookie cutter routines. I just uh, knew that, uh, how about we try this? And uh, I literally, from performing, uh, my very first show, I'll tell you uh, this right now, I uh, wrote a bunch of routines that I'm going to do, and they wanted me, if I'm not mistaken, to perform for an hour. Okay. About 20 minutes in, I ran out of material. <laughs> so I started repeating the same stuff that I did before, which ended up being funnier hmm. the second time around. Oh, what's wrong with that? So let's try it again. And uh, I learned how to build on uh, the laughter. And people are funny. My job is uh, as a performer is to bring it out. That's all it is. Uh, so I found an incredible way of repetition uh, makes things not only funnier, but makes it uh, more exciting, especially when presented in a different context. Explain. Uh, so if I, uh, in my uh, performance, I, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, when I forget a person's name, who I gave them uh, the name Chip, which I keep screwing up throughout the show, halfway through the performance, I put uh, the same thing in a different context. I uh, show a person a bird that knows how to talk. The bird doesn't exist. It's never been there. But as far as they're concerned, they're seeing that imaginary bird who knows how to talk and also keeps calling them the wrong name. Oh, my God. Okay. Right. So that's uh, where the context uh, becomes uh, in a different uh, sense, but still it's almost the same routine, but I'm just extending it more and more. Uh, and uh, that's what got me to uh, the point where I am now. And uh, truthfully, when I started, all of the hypnotists were viewed as uh, forceful and strong and look into my eyes, right? That uh, sort of thing. And that character did not work for me. Uh, I'm sort of cutesy, lovable, uh, kind. And uh, that's the part that I was on stage, which was completely different than everybody else. And uh, you are probably way too young, but at some point in time, there was something called the Arsenio Hall Show, if you've heard the name. No. Uh, it was uh, competing uh, with uh, the uh, Tonight Show and uh, at the time, the David Letterman Show. So the Arsenio Hall was... Uh, the uh, new kid on the block that created something special uh, on stage. And uh, if you've seen uh, people going roof, 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 uh, that's Arsenio Hall show. So if you've ever uh, seen that. Uh, so I recreated the Arsenio Hall show on my stage because I use a lot of uh, TV themes uh, in my performances. And uh, the Arsenio Hall show was it. And uh, one of the first college gigs, uh, oddly enough, 
I invited uh, an agent to come and uh, see me uh, perform so that they would sign me uh, and put me on their roster. I was already on their roster and uh, created the Arsenio Hall show. Arsenio had guests. There were uh, guest stars, just like what you were saying, Michael Jackson, uh, whoever else uh, would be on there, Madonna. Uh, And uh, there were bodyguards, right? So everybody had... uh, something that they were doing on the stage. And as I would walk by Arsenio off the microphone, I would tell him, uh, I'm ruining your show. I walked back uh, across, uh, put the microphone away. I'm ruining uh, your show. Eventually, he uh, takes me off the stage, gets the bodyguards to take me off the stage, and the show goes on without. That was uh, the crazy uh, routine that I wrote. And that agent told me that, uh, I'm sorry, I can't represent you. Because you lost control. What do you mean I lost control? I created the whole thing. That was beautiful. Are you kidding me? That was probably uh, the nicest way I presented it. And you were there. Uh, No, I can't represent. So I figured out that I was able to uh, fool an agent, somebody who was already in the business, knew what they were doing, and they uh, were not able to see what I created. That means it was that good. So I started writing for that character and I became almost a hypnotist that loses control. Hmm. So that's my character on stage that I try to present and I make it fun and exciting. Things happen behind my back. I'm sort of uh, oblivious to it. And that's what uh, created that character that uh, took me from being just another hypnotist on the list of somebody that we will pick to this guy looks different. Let's give him a chance. Interesting. uh, That opened up a lot of doors. And uh, just uh, imagine when you perform in front of an audience live, it might be hundreds, thousands of people. Uh, When you do it on television, it's millions. So that's what I uh, ended up stepping into. And uh, it's uh, Catch-22. If you haven't done it, nobody uh, will call you. If you have done it, then uh, people will uh, take the expertise and uh, run with it because they can trust you. They know that you will not step in front of a camera when uh, the camera is looking this way uh, and you're blocking the shot uh, behind you. So just knowing all of those little details, that's what got me farther ahead uh, and being able to jump in on uh, something that is presented to people. So I always try to uh, show the therapeutic side rather than here's uh, just the funny uh, way of controlling people. Okay, so explain to me, you're hypnotizing people, right? You're in that zone, and yeah, mm-hmm. like you have this, you know, sort of moxie that goes around, and you're you're very different than all the stage hypnosis that I've seen. What exactly going is going on inside of their brains? Like, how do they see you? How do they see the world? Like, first of all, there was a, there was one time where you made all the people. It was like ten people who were sitting down. You made them see the crowd as naked. And every single person that was in the room was naked, right? Do they actually see people as naked? Or what exactly is going through their mind in this experience? Uh, That's what is called a negative hallucination. Uh, You get people to imagine something that's uh, already there, and uh, their mind erases it uh, as far as they're concerned. So they're creating what a vision would be in their mind. And uh, if you ask them for an explanation, I know exactly uh, the one that you're referring to. Uh, 
the uh, TV show uh, requested uh, that specific bid to be uh, put to it. And uh, I uh, managed to turn that around uh, in the sense where it doesn't have to be just uh, you're seeing people naked, but you are now naked and you're able to be comfortable within your own skin just sitting there. Yeah. Right. So once you're able to take that uh, specific twist to it, uh, and I literally choose to uh, divert it uh, in that direction specifically uh, to carry out a message. It's not just entertainment. There's a little bit more to it. And that opened up so many doors. Uh, well, first of all, not even going past just an idea of what it could be. Uh, it's called milking an audience. Uh, you uh, give them a little bit, this is the way that's heading, but it's not where it's heading. It's uh, uh, heading towards a positive message. And that's exactly where I, I stand on the subject because there's ways to uh, do a hypnosis and uh, make it a bar act in comparison to a theater act. And I choose to uh, present it no matter where I am it's always a theater act. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching that and I was like, wait a second, right? Does hypnotism also help with stage fright, right? Because obviously that is the problem, right? That's, that's the existential dream is that, you know, people are, people are sitting and they're in front of a stage and they're naked and they're embarrassed and all of these things, you know? And, um, and they're uncomfortable with it. So you actually can make someone feel they're, like they're comfortable in front of a stage. So yeah, can hypnosis cure stage fright? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, it's not just hypnosis. It's the idea of being able to rearrange your uh, mental uh, mindset. Uh, subconscious, yeah. Uh, subconscious. Uh, well, subconscious is always working. Whether you realize it or not, it's constantly uh uh, deciding, protecting, doing all of the stuff that's going on in your brain uh, behind the scenes. You, uh, whether you realize it or not, uh, the, well, the conscious is the part of the mind that uh, you are aware of. The subconscious, uh, you're still blinking or breathing. It's controlling everything from bodily functions to uh, knowing uh, that on that side, there's somebody just walked into the room or not, right? So uh, that's always... Uh, awareness uh yeah that that exists the only thing that that kind of gets to me is okay so like you're you're a live performer right and you can make somebody clearly like not be like be comfortable being naked in front of thousands of people like that that blew my mind and obviously that wasn't necessarily like like the thing that was that was present right obviously it was more of it seemed like entertainment but that was something that you did and it was something that clearly like happened and it wasn't the message but you could take that from it and the only thing that i struggle with is okay like you were a live performer right and i always i've i've tried to do something like that by myself obviously not being naked in front of a crowd but you know confidence and and speaking in front of crowds and doing all of these things what are the limitations of maybe like a recording, a self-hypnosis recording, or just basically trying to convince yourself or trying to do a sort of self-hypnosis as you're driving to the place. What are the limits of that as prepared to you? Uh, I don't see any limits. What I do see is 
the ability to take the information in and use it. Uh, a lot of times uh, you hear uh, about people, oh, I'm going to go see a, a hypnotherapist either to quit smoking, to uh, help me with whatever. Yeah. A, a lot of times there's uh, different underlying reasons why they're stuck in that specific mode uh, where uh, there's uh, different loops. Uh, every time uh, you get stressed, you pick up a cigarette. Every time you uh, do this. So knowing how to break those patterns. And uh, I believe that hypnosis is all about patterns. I can give people the initial push in the direction, but I cannot give them uh, the, uh, just like with cigarettes, I cannot give them the know-how to uh, say, okay, I'm going to not touch this again. Hmm. Uh, so uh, same uh, sort of thing. Uh, I deal uh, uh, also with the fears and phobias. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to uh, see the, those uh, videos yep. that are watched by millions online. Uh, I'm a regular on uh, TV show Mori. Uh, mm -hmm. Mori Povich, uh, where I uh, deal with people with really weird phobias, uh, something unusual, something strange, other than the everyday, uh, I have a fear of uh, uh, spiders. speaking or anything else, uh, or spiders. Uh, it gets into chicken, jello, uh, cotton balls, you name it. So just uh, different types of uh, phobias, that, uh, and the show uh, does them very quickly where uh, they would flash on the screen. If you have uh, a phobia of uh, sorts, give a, uh, us a call now. They were mm -hmm. uh, flown uh, that weekend to the studios uh, to deal with their phobias. So uh, a lot of times it's a really simple procedure, which uh, I use uh, a lot of the uh, NLP fast phobia cure, yeah. uh, if you're familiar with that. Uh, but the show is very dramatic. So they present it in a really outrageous fashion and they figure out the formula, how to do it. I'm there to help people. And the way it works, they film all of the stuff of uh, people showing how they're scared of uh, whatever they're terrified of beforehand. And then uh, you see me on the screen. That's the first time that I'm actually involved. Uh, and uh, we'll give them the, the to Boris for an hour or two, and then uh, we'll come back and see what happened. My job is to make sure that they handle whatever they were terrified of by uh, the end of the hour or two that they're given to me because they film a different show in between. Okay. Uh, and then uh, there's an hour, an hour and a half or so uh, until uh, I have to head back to the studio with the people. And uh, I found doing it over and over again that phobias tend to be polarizing. Uh, meaning after the fact, let's say you were uh, scared of a bird. Afterwards, your idea is, oh, I might want to uh, get a bird. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so it swings in a completely different direction. And uh, there's always an underlying reason why and how that phobia formed. They may or may not remember it, but uh, it's a learned behavior. So if uh, it has been learned, it can be unlearned. So give me an example of, I don't know, a bird, some sort of fear that oh, was... I, I'll uh, give you a perfect example, uh, which uh, hits at home uh, right there and then. On the show, we had a lady scared of what she calls water bugs. And uh, if uh, people are watching this, uh, I 
implore you, uh, go ahead and look it up. Uh, Fear of Water Bugs uh, Mori, or just uh, type in Mori phobias. It'll be one of the videos uh, that you find uh, online. But uh, her daughter uh, brought uh, the mother uh, because she was scared of water bugs, which are basically big cockroaches. Okay. Right. Uh, Only to uh, exhibit the same uh, signs that she's terrified of water bugs uh, or cockroaches, uh, and they were using the uh, Madagascar hissing cockroaches. So they're pretty (laughs) big and uh, uh, scary looking. Uh, Wherever the show finds them, it's amazing. But uh, so instead of uh, dealing with one person, I had to deal with two, the mother and the daughter. And uh, the message in that one is the daughter learned from her mother how to react when uh, she uh, was exposed to uh, the cockroaches. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, the fact that people are afraid of spiders doesn't feel right to me, right? Like, why are we all afraid of spiders? There's no reason to be afraid of spiders. I don't know anybody that's been bit by a spider that's been eaten by a spider. Two Spider-Men. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like nothing crazy happened yet. Everybody's afraid of spiders. And it just seems like it's just completely, you know, passed down or enforced by some culture or something. Absolutely. And uh, there's no need for it. Yes, we have the fight or flight response where uh, uh, there's uh, a part of us that uh, protects us from the outside world. But uh, it's not as bad as uh, the voices in our head uh, tell us it is. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something that sort of we've been programmed since we're younger. So once we say we're afraid of spiders, it sort of builds up. And every time you see a spider, you get more and more scared and all of these things. And it really goes, actually, it goes back to language, right? Like I deal with a lot of people who are diagnosed with ADHD, right? And one of the things that I was, ah, you laughed. Like, I know, like, this is, this is so funny. It's just, I was talking to someone yesterday. I was hypnotizing him about ADHD. And the first thing that I told him was that you don't have ADHD, And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, the more you tell yourself that you have ADHD, the worse it's going to get, right? Like when you put a label on it, when you put a vocabulary on it, then you're going to convince yourself that you have some disorder. And the thing is, maybe you do, right? Like maybe you do have ADHD, but just the fact that you're saying that you have ADHD is making your ADHD more stable and more secure. I tend to agree. And I will uh, say something a little controversial uh, at this point. Let's go for it. I uh, most likely agree. <laughs> uh, well, ADD and ADHD is a new label. And uh, I found uh, the uh, current generation specifically wears these labels like a badge of honor lately. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I have this. I have this. Uh, one of the things about ADD and ADHD is not inability to uh, concentrate or is actually quite the opposite. The extra ability to concentrate. Uh, when somebody says uh, they have ADD, attention deficit disorder, mm-hmm. they refer to it as a disorder. Instead, uh, they I would refer to it as their mind. Instead of uh, being concentrating on one thing, it darts from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. By definition. But able to concentrate so much better on each task at hand uh, that uh, to me, it's not a disorder. It's a superpower. Mm. Interesting. Right. Uh, Because they're able to concentrate on so many things at once 
but uh, it uh, got labeled that uh, you're either hyperactive or not hyperactive, big deal. Uh, but you uh, end up uh, jolting your concentration or uh, I would uh, equate it to a sprinkler. Yeah. But you concentrate yeah. on each one so well that uh, you're able to move from one idea to the next. And water the grass. Successful. Yeah, just uh, a different way that your mind works. And uh, it's not a disorder. It can be uh, used as uh, uh, something worthwhile. So you can concentrate on 10 things at once. That's amazing. Uh, right? Uh, no, but it's something that uh, uh, makes me uh, feel like it's a disorder. Uh, well, it's so a, uh, that, well, that can be a little controversial at this point, but I truly believe that that can be used as a an added uh, benefit rather than a crutch. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because there's definitely another side to it. Like one of the things that people with ADHD struggle with is that they just can't finish anything, right? Like, okay, I'm focused on eight things and then I realized that I did eight things and I can't finish any of them because obviously, right? Like I'm darting around. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's... I noticed that I have something like ADHD tendencies where I keep bouncing around, I keep doing all these things. And I realized to some degree, I'm very productive, right? I'm getting so much stuff done. And there's so much stuff that I could really like, I'm focused, like I'm so excessively focused on these things that I'm darting around. And it's weird, we think of it as as distraction, but it's it's also focus at the same time, like you're I actually never told this to anybody. That's the way my mind works. It darts from one thing to another, but I work towards completion of all of those uh, tasks instead of uh, just doing a little bit. Uh, I try to do them all. And uh, perfect example, I'm in a business by myself, uh, meaning uh, I don't have a big staff. So there's a lot of different parts of the business that need to be done. Everything from publicity, websites, uh, to making phone calls, to uh doing this podcast yeah. right so all of these uh, little details uh i other people may call it scattered but to me it's just concentrating on different uh things uh, at a different time so yeah that's the way my mind works and i don't know any other way of doing it uh, other than uh, being uh in the moment present when i'm dealing with that one specific uh, thing so as I'm talking to you. That means I might not be concentrating on something that could be uh, getting in the way. So you get 100% of me. Uh, so uh, whether I uh, do have any type of a diagnosis uh, right now, no, but who knows? Maybe later we'll find something else. Yeah, who knows? Like, you know, I always I always said, like, if I got an ADHD test, right, and I read a book, it's actually, it was, it's very relevant. I read a book called ADHD Does Not Exist. That was the name of the book. And oh, so um, somebody else was thinking uh, the same uh, way that I. It was actually uh, a pretty popular book, to too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the basic reasoning is because, first of all, okay, if you were to take a middle school child, right, or a high school child, and you make them sleep six hours every night for a week, if they were a healthy individual, they would be diagnosed with ADHD just because of not be not being low on sleep and that affects attention and that affects mood and that affects all of these things and they get distracted more often and all these things. And then also ADHD is simply just a bunch of symptoms. So they look at a checklist and there's, uh, this is the DSM, you know, uh, how they diagnose disorders and they say, okay, you have five of these nine symptoms, you have ADHD. But the unfortunate reality is 
they're just making this diagnosis based off symptoms, right? What's the underlying disorder? What else is really going on? And a lot of them are pretty basic, like trouble concentrating in class, you know, like constantly darting from side to side. Really, if we were to diagnose the college population in America based off that disorder, that criteria would be something like 80% of them have ADHD just because of, you know, we get distracted by phones and social media and all of these things. So, um, so yeah, he made the case that ADHD does not exist, and I tend to agree. Good. I, I, I came up to this uh, sort of uh, just because I found lately uh, the generation, uh, well, I come from uh, the time frame where we were not diagnosed with anything of that nature. Yep. It was called suck it up and move on. <laughs> uh, so you have to deal with it, uh, whether you have anything or not. So uh, I have no diagnosis. Uh, and uh, the uh, generation, uh, what I'm saying is when they change the meaning uh, and everybody has to be validated and everybody has to be uh, acknowledged, uh, I saw that being developed, and uh, it's just a matter of uh, change the mindset, not uh, the tags that, that were given to you. Hmm. It's really, God, you know what? We're digging into a concept that's so complex. Yes, that I, absolutely. I agree. Like, I apologize I don't know. for bringing it up. No, no, I like it. I like it because there are so many ways that you could take it. So like, for example, right, and this is something that you talked about, and this is something that I generally agree with, this idea of being a victim, right? And being a victim is something that might be true. And that's that's the thing, right? So somebody who gets discriminated against, someone who's really struggling with whatever, right? And everyone's to some degree a victim, and everyone's also some degree not a victim, right? And the thing is, for people who are more victims than others, we could say they are victims, right? You could say that. But then at the same time, if they were to acknowledge to themselves that they are victims, then that changes their psychology completely, right? That makes them act like more of a victim. That makes them act like they're completely, you know, it changes the way that they they feel about the world and themselves and all of these things. And well, the question is, what do you do about that? So even if you are a victim, the question is, should you acknowledge yourself as a victim? And what are the implications of that? It's so complex. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, and uh, in the motivational circuits, uh, you will hear words, uh, lead your life as a victor and not a victim. Yeah. Because you always overcome. Uh, and once you overcome, you may have learned something, but don't live as uh, it, the world owes me. The world does not own you. Uh, you should uh, bring the world up rather than bringing it down. And uh, that's the part that I completely stand for. In hypnosis on stage, I deal a lot with intangibles, things that don't exist, uh, things that only exist in a person's mind. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my job is to get the audience to buy that principle and uh, character uh, and basically like Gulliver, uh, grab the reins and uh, come on uh, with me on this uh, journey. So uh, the same thing applies in life. I want people to, uh, instead of uh, seeing what's not even there, 
but look and have goals that uh, will bring them up to the occasion, uh, give them a reason to move forward, give them a reason to disregard the negatives, because there's always going to be negatives. Yeah. Somebody doesn't like you. Somebody doesn't like the way you look. You're too fat, too skinny, you're too ugly. Oh, my God, I'm ugly. How can you talk like that? Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but you have to have the ability to look in the mirror and like what you see. Uh, once you like what you see, <clears throat> others will like you. And uh, I literally uh, implore people to change the mentality of I'm a victim uh, to uh, making themselves uh, feel better by lifting themselves up out of that uh, hole that they may have dug or the society has dug for them. Uh, <clears throat> I will give you my negatives and uh, I'll tell you uh, I'm an immigrant son, so you might hear a little bit of an accent or not the way that I talk properly. Uh, I don't uh, uh, speak like uh, everything that uh, you would imagine, but uh, I find that that helps me on stage. Uh, so th th this is a negative that I took as a positive because I have a different cadence, different way of uh, presentation that gets people mm. to hold on to every word that I say. Yeah. And uh, I even learned over the years, uh, if the audience is not with me, if the audience is too slow, I will slow down the way I speak so that they can be on the same wavelength. So uh, once you figure out how the world works, it's not about money. Uh, like everybody uh, in this world is trying to get as much money as possible. It's just a number. Yeah. It's, right. it, so it, once it, you figure uh, those little details out, everything changes. Everything becomes okay. Everything becomes worthwhile. Uh, and create those goals. They may not be always realistic, but uh, for me, uh, having a little bit more of unrealistic goal in front of me is uh, constantly uh, moving forward and trying to achieve. Well, so that's the thing, right? And I've been trying to parse out, you know, essentially the lessons of what you've been saying. And it seems like that we place a sense of a sense of importance. We place a sense of value on every single thing that happens in our lives, right? So somebody comes up to you and they say, you look ugly, right? You could say that is the most important thing ever. Holy crap. Why would they be so terrible to me? And this is really going to affect my, my, the way I speak to myself, my self image, all of these things, my emotions, and eventually the way that I act and feel. Or you could say, who the hell is this person talking to me? right? Like what, what does it even matter? This person speaking to me, it really doesn't matter. And for almost every single thing that happens in our outside world, and this is true even perceptually, right? Like there are little sounds that are happening in the background right now. There are little movements, cars moving outside. And what I've chosen is that I've chosen to focus on this one interview. I've chosen not to focus on the world around me and just to focus on this conversation. And it seems like we're doing this all the time. We are meaning making machines. We are people who are determining the importance of everything around us and trying to determine how is it going to affect my body? How is it going to affect the way that I talk to myself, how I feel and how I act at the end of the day? And well, that's the exact thing. So you have the choice as to what you find is the most important. So if you were to call yourself a victim, for example, then you're really just placing a tremendous amount of importance and value on that thing. But at the same time, you could just place a tremendous amount of importance on 
I'm an immigrant and this actually brings good to my life. And this actually makes my performance better as opposed to something like it makes it worse. You're absolutely right. And uh, find that something special that it's in your life. Change the language, change the attitude. Uh, because what happens is the loops are created and people dwell uh, on those ideas that uh, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly. You're not ugly. You're just different. <laughs> different. Wait a second. I, I, what's different? Is that good? Is that bad? Uh, how should I use it? Well, different uh, will get you uh, everything from TV roles to uh, uh, you. I just like I was talking about before, I was different. That got me work. That yeah. got me uh, noticed. That got me in front of other people. And I'm not talking about the a career making move i'm talking something that you get satisfaction out of and uh, i have found that my life changed when i stopped caring what other people think and even on stage amused me hmm. i like that right? uh, the a part about uh, because i know what's funny i believe that's funny and uh, if you go with me on this journey, I will show you how funny things will become. And an audience is able to jump on that wavelength the same way uh, after I'm confident enough to say, uh, you're going to like it, trust me. So that's what happens on my stage. Uh, when I present something, it's a routine I might have uh, written half an hour before. Many of them failed. So they won't always be successful. But mm -hmm. when they do, it uh, hits out of the park. Uh, people realize uh, that there's more to it than just a funny presentation. There's well, uh, something uh, interesting, exciting, and I'm building up. There's times in the show where I literally, I have to uh, give an audience a little bit of rest because <laughs> uh, they were uh, laughing so hard. So I'll uh, do a slow-paced routine to bring them up. So it becomes a climb that just uh, keeps going until uh, good night, folks. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that kind of, that I really enjoy. And this is one of my main principles is just like, people love authentic people. People like there's something special about somebody who goes against the grain. There's somebody, something special about somebody who is just completely self you know, created and really has this focus on authenticity and being themselves. And isn't that really what confidence is, the ability to be yourself? And the problem is that it hasn't been done before, right? So you, you look at like a social situation, for example. In a social situation, everyone loves to blend in. But at the same time, there's the one who goes off the grain and that's the person that we love the most. There's nothing wrong with being an underdog. I, I made a living doing <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it's really, it's interesting because our society and I think just human nature in general is designed to punish the people who are different, right? Because if you're different, then you're not like everyone else and you want to keep the structure and, and all these things. You know, you imagine somebody going into college and I see this all the time, people going into college, they love to fit in right? They love to fit in. You, I just went to an IU football game the other day, right? Indiana University Hoosiers, we go to play football. Everybody's either wearing red or white, right? They're wearing our team colors, they're wearing a jersey, all of these things. But why? But why, right? And I look at them and you could look around and say, oh, these are all people that are supporting a team. But then you could also say, these are all clones, right? 
Like these are all people who are just mimicking each other and and just have this need to be <laughs> to be, you know, part of this group and conform with each other. So there are so many ways that you can look at it at the end of the I day. I have a way to describe that everybody's different but the same. Mm. Interesting. So you're saying that they're all the same because they all are wearing Hoosier jerseys, but there's some little special nature within each one of them. Absolutely. Uh, and that's uh, how you choose to look at stuff. They're all special. They really are. They try to fit in. They want to fit in. Uh, yet, uh, I, I guess it happens a little bit later in life when you uh, couldn't care less uh, about what other people think and you settle into your own uh, lane, if you like. Where yeah. you, I just like I said before, stop caring about uh, what others think and do you. And uh, once you figure out who you is, some people take a little bit longer, others take a little bit shorter. For me, and uh, I promise you, I, I think that's probably why I had nobody else to rely on. When I uh, went on the road, I found that I could only rely on me. Back then, uh, there was no GPS and uh, you had to drive with a, a car with a, a piece of uh, huge paper that uh, was your map. And if you miss an exit, uh, where do I find uh, the next one to get off on? Uh, so uh, rely on you. Uh, find uh, Because people feed off of confidence. People feed off of uh, somebody who is unique. They want to uh, just uh, think of all of your friends. If they're all the same, then they blend uh, together. Uh, who is different? Who is new? Somebody who all of a sudden decides they're going to wear different shoes or different socks. Uh, oh, that's different. Let's talk about it. Why do you talk about it? Because they are not fitting the norm. They're trying to be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll notice that even in conversation, like I see this all the time because obviously I'm in college and people are still trying to figure out who they are and all this. And you could tell that people put up like this nice little mask, you know, and if you like, if you like shift the mask a little bit, like somebody will say something like obviously they put up a persona and this is who they try to be. And then they'll say something that just completely breaks it. Like completely, it goes against every single thing that they were trying to act as. And mm -hmm. they just kind of like slip it into the conversation, maybe as a mistake or maybe as if they're trying to like test something, either consciously or subconsciously. And I, every time it happens, I just laugh. I'm like, oh, that's so funny because clearly, you know, this is not you. The real you is underneath and you're also able to notice that especially in uh, the craft that uh, you're using uh, you have uh, started to appreciate people for the psychology behind their thinking yeah yeah right uh, it, you uh, find it exciting to uh, see what uh, makes people tick uh, how uh, they're made uh, up of. You notice different little uh, signs of uh, if uh, they're standing in a circle, one crosses their arm, the rest follow suit if they agree with the subject matter. So uh, tiny little details. And I use that on stage as well. I find uh, different little details that I uh, pick up from uh, who is responding a specific way to uh, where they're looking. Hmm. Right. If somebody's uh, body language uh, relates uh, something to you that uh, is against uh, where you're heading, you know that they're not on the same level. So you have to discuss it. And once you're able to uh, find uh, the same level, uh, the whole congruency just moves forward. Uh, it's that simple.
Interesting. Interesting. So you're trying to get them essentially on your wavelength, right? That's a little bit like a mystical way of saying it, but. Uh, well, it's a normal way of saying it. That's the way I usually talk. But uh, <laughs> I find uh, you want people, and uh, even uh, in college, you're uh, referring to college, you will not be friends with everybody in your uh, group right now, yep. 20, 30 years from now. Life mm-hmm. comes into play, kids, whatever else, uh, jobs. And uh, you will find that the people that stick around are the ones that you have uh, either the most common with or people who complete you. Mm. And that uh, same thing relates to uh, partners, to friends, to whoever. Somebody who does not question why you wore the shirt that you wore today. Uh, or uh, will question you and call you on it and uh, say, what the hell is wrong with you? Who uh, goes out like this? Uh, right. As somebody yeah. who will uh, give you what you either need or that will complete you. Interesting. Interesting. No, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that in my life. Like there's a lot of, um, I mean, you know, this, this is one of the most human things possible, right? Like what makes someone your friend and what makes someone not your friend, you know? And, and part of it is just because you get a good feeling when you're around one person and you get a bad feeling when you're around another. And part of it is, is validation, right? Like, okay, when I'm around this person, and this is to your point, like, when I'm around one of my friends, like I just feel so comfortable. I feel so validated. I feel so like, like we could just, you know, we don't have to put up these barriers in front of ourselves and we could just kind of go. And that's, that's part of the reason why I like this friend so much. It's just such a beautiful right. feeling. Drop the masks. That's all it is. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really, really amazing. And well, I guess that's the end of our conversation. I do have one more question though, actually. As many as you like. So this is something that's sort of, I don't really know what to, what to do about it. Right. So the idea of confidence, I think everybody struggles with confidence and obviously, right. I've been spending a lot of time speaking in front of large groups of people and all of these things for confidence. Okay. How does someone self hypnotize themselves to become more confident? So for example, let's say I'm about to present in front of 210 people today. What should I do to stand up in front of them and be completely myself? Well, one thing that I can tell you about the confidence, uh, well, only 210, that's it. Only 210. (laughs) Right. Uh, Well, that's one of them. Uh, Because uh, a lot of times part of uh, the process of public speaking and uh, being afraid uh, of the audience, you don't realize one simple detail. They're on your side. Hmm. Right. So in your mind, yeah, you're going through questions. What if I don't? What if I this? If you're confident in your material that you're presenting, the only thing that stands between you and uh, a wonderful presentation is the ability to just uh, take a deep breath and walk out on stage and uh, say, I know what I'm uh, talking about. Listen to me. And this is the information uh, that I'm trying to relate. Hmm. Do you have any problems talking? Uh, uh, in front of, let's say, five people, what's the difference? Right, uh, same information. I studied this or I want to present this uh, abstract concept that uh, I believe is absolutely the way it should be. And uh, whether you present in front of five or 5,000, 
it really makes the difference. I actually, believe it or not, it's a lot easier to present uh, in front of a lot of people. And I'm speaking from experience uh, wow. where uh, I uh, talk in front of uh, large groups and uh, the tens of thousands where uh, they will hang on to every word because you are on that stage because you're an authority. Hmm. You're on the stage because you're presenting. They're on your side. If you uh, structure your presentation well enough, they will forget that anything else is going on outside of that room and hang on to your every idea. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I like that. So, yeah, two things I took from that. So, first, if you're confident enough in what you're saying, then nothing else matters. Right. And I, I think I, I actually really like that because it's like that that's that's a pretty and confident in your own abilities. Uh, I go on stage uh, with a routine that I know may not work. Mm -hmm. But uh, in order to do something like that, I will sandwich it in between uh, two other routines uh, that work very well. So in case this one flops, we can uh, bring it back up to the same level and move on. And if uh, I didn't uh, succeed the first time, let's try this again. So the last time it didn't work this way, we'll reward it and present it in a different manner. How do you think uh, all of those uh, things got built? Uh, it's just a matter of telling a story. And so that's what you're doing on stage. And I would actually recommend, uh, and uh, it's not something that I've uh, followed, but any of the clubs that allow you to speak in front of people, mm -hmm could make a great experience, whether it's Toastmasters or any of the others, that uh, you pick a topic and you got five minutes, go, uh, right? And uh, tell me about whatever that topic is. And uh, then they criticize, what did you do right and what did you do wrong? There's many clubs. I'm sure you have uh, some at the university that you're yeah. at, where you can find uh, something uh, locally that uh, people uh, just get together, maybe uh, at a restaurant and uh, these uh, days, it's socially distanced. You don't even have to be in front of anybody. So I would gladly recommend uh, stuff like that. But uh, there's no way uh, to do stuff without trying. So the more you try, the better you get. I came the ranks of we were talking about Bear's Place uh, that I performed at many, many years ago and still remember because that was uh, so much fun. And uh, just uh, being on tour uh, through all of these different places, a few places stand out, but uh, you may not uh, see the same show today as what I presented way back when. Why? Because everything evolves. So the more you do something, the better you get at it. So uh, if uh, it's information for the first time, believe in yourself, believe in your abilities. The audience is always on your side. They're not there to have you fail. And if you mm -hmm. do, there's always the next time. Hmm. I like that. I like that. All right. Well, Bernard, Boris Treniak, thank you for coming on. Tell everybody where they could find you. This is this was great. Yeah. Uh, the website is simple, incredibleboris.com. Like I said, it's a branding uh, thing. Over the years, I became <laughs> Incredible Boris. That's something that you would see on a marquee, but uh, it's always been Boris. I started out uh, performing it. Uh, sort of one name added my last name to it, but nobody could ever spell or pronounce it. So it was <laughs> Boris, and then people kept adding. But so it's incredibleboris.com. And also, one thing that I have always stood for, and actually I have a copy of this. Uh, if you uh, can see the title of the book, you can do anything. 
Uh, I wrote the book. It's a bunch of uh, stories from my life, what transpired, what didn't transpire, uh, how it affected me and what I learned from it. Uh, and the four words are literally the soundtrack of what I have always done. You can do anything. When people said you can't, I did. I love that. And if anybody has any doubts that you can do anything, first of all, buy the book. It will be in the description below. And second of all, watch some of his damn hypnosis shows. Just look up Boris Cherniak, and they are absolutely fantastic. I have It absolutely blows my mind to watch those. So I love what I do. I found something that I absolutely am thrilled about when I step on a stage. It's a passion. It's something worthwhile. I never did it for money. I never did it for anything else other than getting something out of it for me. And uh, I implore everybody else to do the same. If you uh, go after something, don't go after the paycheck. Don't go after uh, everything. Find yourself. It may be, uh, hey, I uh, did menial jobs in between when I didn't have any money. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I moved on and started making a living doing what I absolutely enjoy. And uh, truthfully, uh, when you do something like that, uh, you don't really work. Uh, for me, the, the work is getting to the place rather than stepping on the stage. Mm, I love that. Well, Boris Cherniak, thank you for coming on. This was wonderful. This was thank incredible. You. Enjoyed talking to you tremendously. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nick Lugo Show with Boris Cherniak. To support this podcast, please give me a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And so I'll leave you with a quote from philosopher Edmund Burke. No passion so effectively robs the mind of all its powers of acting and reasoning as fear. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you next time.